Cool. Thank you, Jinha, for that warm welcome. Oh, cool, look at that. Works. Hey, it's exciting to be here this morning at Melbourne City Adventist Church. Uh, we've been here a few times. In fact, people always say to us, you know, <clears throat> if you could go to any church in all of uh, the conference, which one would you attend? And we say, well, we actually try to attend Melbourne City Adventist Church on our days off uh, from, you know, traveling the conference and visiting different churches and all that sort of thing. So I think that's amounted to maybe three visits this year or something like that. But yeah, this would be the fourth. So it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to being able to uh, share a little message with you guys this morning. I'd like to start by just having a word of prayer. Father in heaven, just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come together this morning and um, to be able to open your word and to be able to think about you. And we just pray that your spirit would be present that you would guide us and that you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mervyn. You're the man. Two weekends ago, we traveled to a place called Dalesford. Does anybody know where Dalesford is? Okay, one, two, three. A few of you guys know where it is. Yeah, James, you were there. And basically, we had the annual Pathfinder Expedition. And so you can imagine about 450 people from all across Victoria, they came out for the Pathfinder Expedition. And, and if you don't know what Pathfinder is, it's basically something very similar to Scouts. So here they are, they come out, they camp, they hike, they have a lot of fun, set up their bushfires and all that sort of stuff. And it's really a, quite an exciting weekend. So here's the thing. Uh, we thought this time round, we're going to be right on target and we're going to go out a couple of days early so that we can make sure that we've set this event up really nicely and we've set this event up really well. Uh, you know, normally when it comes to our events, oftentimes we find ourselves at the last minute still trying to fix stuff and sort stuff out. And, you know, like it's 7 o'clock Friday night and everyone's piling in and I'm just hanging the lights up or something like that. And so we said to ourselves, well, this time we're going to be on time. We're going to sort this thing out. And so we did. We went a day early. And you can imagine as we went a day early, everything was running really smoothly. Um, we had the whole campsite marked out with pegs and markers, etc. We had a number of our tents up. We're looking back at the scene and we're thinking to ourselves, hey, this is pretty good. This is working out pretty well. And so we decided that we would go into a little town, which is, is called Dalesford, and we'd have our, our dinner there at night. And we, we went in there, we kind of sat in this... A restaurant, it was really warm, it had like a wood fire, that sort of stuff. We relaxed, it was awesome. And then we came back to the campsite, jumped into our tents, and I was sitting there in the evening, and I was thinking to myself, hey, this is pretty good. We've done pretty well. So I went to sleep. It was about 3 a.m. in the morning, and... You can imagine I actually uh, woke up and I feel like these drips on my head. And I feel these drips kind of just coming down the side of my tent 
And I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? And so I started to look around a little bit, and I came to this quick realization that my tent was a leaker. You know, like it's raining and my tent is leaking. Now, Dalesford is a cold place. One of the evenings we were there was uh, minus three, you know, three below zero. And, and it was just covered in ice when we woke up in the morning, frost. And so this is the kind of place where you don't want your tent to leak. You know what I'm saying? But mine was leaking. And as I uh, woke up earlier, uh, you know, later in the morning, sorry, and pulled all my wet stuff out of my tent and I took it out to dry it all out and I had to move my tent underneath another tent so that it wouldn't get too wet the next night, I was thinking to myself, this story was just too good to be true. We had rocked up a day early, everything was really well, it looked nice, we had the set out happening so good, of course, I said to myself, something had to go wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like this is kind of common in life. Is anybody with me on this? You know, like things are operating really lovely, things are going so well, and then all of a sudden something has to go wrong. In fact, I would nearly go so far as to say that as human beings, we have become accustomed to this, this phenomenon in life. And as a result, what we often try to do is we try very hard to control situations. We know that there's something wrong just around the corner. We know that there's something wrong, you know, waiting to happen to us. And so what we try to do as a result is we often try to control the situation. And you know what? Sometimes this makes its way into our spiritual journey. What do I mean by that? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus speaking. You know, oftentimes, however, we put this command from Jesus aside and we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to look after my own needs first and then I'll start to think about God in my life. I was thinking about paying some, some, some tithes and offerings, well, actually returning some tithes and offering to God, but... Those bills are pretty big this month. The Bible says, Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall, he shall direct your path. But oftentimes, we try to take the path, the direction of our life into our own hands. We plan out our life completely. We've got all of the, the pieces of the puzzle put in place, and we're making the steps towards it. But too often, we haven't taken a moment to actually ask God what He thinks about it. We haven't actually taken this moment to ask God to give us some guidance, to give us some leadership in our life. And so the reality is, instead of trusting God, who will then direct our paths, we actually direct our paths ourselves. And when stuff goes wrong, we kind of step back and we say, hey God, where were you? And he says back, hey, where were you? The Bible says, we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of our works, lest no one should boast. But too often, too often, what we try to do is we try to earn our salvation. And I like to say this, too often we try to paint the cross of Jesus. Now, some of you guys may be a little bit confused about what I mean when I say paint the cross of Jesus. I'm just going to move this here for a second. What 
When I say paint the cross of Jesus, I want you to imagine here for a second that Jesus himself is, is, is hanging on a cross as he was 2,000 years ago, right here in front of us. Just pretend we're in Jerusalem. You're in the crowd and you're actually witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus. This is what we often do in our spiritual journeys. We go down to Bunnings, we buy this tin of paint and we bring this tin of paint out. We come along now with our tin of paint. We've got a lovely little paintbrush and we, we find the cross of Jesus and then we, we pull our paintbrush out and we begin to paint the cross of Jesus because we're looking at it and we're saying, well, Jesus, what you've done for me here, this, 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 this opportunity for me to have eternal life by you dying for my sins. Hey, Jesus, this is, uh, this is great. Thank you so much. But here's the thing. I just don't feel like it's, it's quite good enough. And so I just got to add a little bit of my own work to it. I'm just going to paint it, Jesus, and just give it a little bit of color. I just want to make sure that I'm good with the kingdom. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to fix that up. Too often, we try to take things, when it comes to our spiritual journey, we, t- we try to take things into our own hands that God says, hey, that was never supposed to be your thing. I've got news today. And it's good news. There's a righteousness, the Bible says, that comes by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. We cannot earn it by our works. It's the righteousness of Jesus that he gives to us. And I want to share that message with you today. I want to go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm not sure if this thing is shooting straight for me today. Oh, yeah, there we go. I think it worked. Did it work? Oh, yeah, look at that. Now it's on fire. There you go. Galatians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, uh, just pull out Galatians chapter 1. There's a stack of those World Changers Bibles right there. That looks pretty good. Galatians is the ninth book in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 1. That's where we're going today. And while you're pulling that up, I'm going to give you a little bit of an historical setting to Galatians. The book of Galatians was written by a guy by the name of Paul. He was an apostle. In other words, he was a New Testament church leader. And basically, he wrote this letter to a number of churches that were in this region here. And so if you went to Google Maps today, which is exactly what I've done, you will find that the region of Galatia was right there in the middle of Turkey. So we've got Bulgaria up here, Lebanon, Jerusalem's down the bottom there somewhere. So that's basically where we're operating here today. So Paul writes this letter to the book of Galatians. Now, where we're going to end up in our study of Galatians is in chapter 2 and verse 20, where the Bible says, I've been crucified, the apostle Paul speaking, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here we have Paul writing this letter to those churches in Galatia, which is in modern times in the, in the, in the center of Turkey. And he's saying to them, this is where we're going to wind up. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. 
and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul has a few issues he wants to deal with when it comes to these churches that were in the central region of Turkey. And so we begin in verse 1. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So here we have the Apostle Paul. He begins his letter and he begins it very well. He kind of starts out by saying, Hey, how you going guys? I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm writing you guys a letter. Grace and peace to you. That's a pretty good way to, to start a letter. But then in verse 6, he starts to hit some big notes and he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even, he says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So the Apostle Paul comes out and he says, hey, I want to tell you guys something. There is one gospel. There is only one gospel. And if anybody is coming around now, if anybody's teaching, preaching, sharing a different gospel, then that person should be cursed. So he's hitting some big notes already. I mean, we're only like, what are we, nine verses in to this letter. Now, some of you may be wondering what the gospel is. What, I'm, what I want to make very clear before we go to that is, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So shortly before now, we go and look at what the gospel is. I want you to know this. The Apostle Paul comes out and he says, hey, there is one gospel. And I want you to know this. That gospel was actually shown to me from Jesus. Don't touch it. Don't change it. Don't mess with it. The gospel of Jesus, he says, is what it is. So what is it? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. This is Paul writing a letter to another church. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And he continues and he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here it is. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived. He died for our sins. He was buried, but he raised and he lives again. As a result of the actions of Jesus... 
We now have the opportunity to have eternal life. And that's why they call it the gospel, because gospel literally means good news. It's the good news of Christ that he lived, that he died for our sins, that he was raised and he lives again in heaven today. And so, friends, we have that opportunity to have salvation through Jesus. So what Paul is saying here, when he opens up his letters, he's saying, hey, I've heard that somebody is preaching to you a different gospel. I've heard that somebody's coming around now and they're perverting the idea of how you can be saved. They're saying something different. And so they're changing the message of Jesus. But I want to tell you, Paul says, there is one gospel. I heard it straight from Jesus himself. And I'm going to share it with you today. And so Paul continues for the rest of chapter 1 to describe how nobody else influenced his idea of what the gospel of Jesus Christ was, except for Jesus himself. And then he continues in chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, with the same line of thought. And then we come to chapter 2 and verse 11. And here, and here in chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul begins to tell a story to illustrate what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So we begin in verse 11, chapter 2. It says there when Cephas, or in other words, Peter, your Bible probably says Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Notice that point. It's interesting. We'll come back to it. Verse 13 The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So here we have it. The Apostle Peter is in a place called Antioch, which is about 400 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And he's hanging out with Gentiles. This is an interesting point. In fact, it says he was eating with Gentiles. In the New Testament world, this was a very interesting a very interesting thing to happen because people from different classes didn't meet together. They didn't, they didn't fellowship together. This is why in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees come along to Jesus and they say, Hey, what's this guy doing? You know, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Who does he think he is? Classes did not mix with classes. And one thing we know for sure is Jewish people who were seen as God's chosen people, chosen from the time of Abraham, Jewish people certainly did not eat with Gentile people. But something strange and different is happening here. And we see Peter, in fact, actually eating with Gentile people. But then the Bible says that the party of the circumcision comes down. This group of believers, they come from James, they come down. And when Peter sees them, Peter actually starts to withdraw. Peter actually starts to stand back from from the situation. And even Barnabas, who was a close companion of the Apostle Paul, who's writing the letter, even Barnabas himself, he also stands back. The big question is, why? Well, we need a little bit of historical context to understand why. In Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, the Bible records a council that took place in Jerusalem. And this council was a a group of early church leaders. They met together and there was an issue that was brought up. Some people within the church were teaching this idea that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved by Jesus. And so the council, they met together and they said, hey, 
These guys are saying, you know, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. We don't think that's correct. In fact, we think that that idea is completely wrong. And so we're going to refute that idea. The only way you can be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now you can imagine, if you were the one that actually brought that issue forward, and you said, hey, I think that you need to be circumcised to be saved, you're probably not going to be happy about it when the council shuts down your idea. So the issue is still swarming within the church. The issue is still really fresh within the church. People are still thinking about this issue. And now the Bible says here that a party of the circumcision come down. Many Bible scholars believe that the council at Jerusalem took place very shortly before the issue of Peter being in Antioch eating with Jews and so when this party of the circumcision comes down Peter starts to feel a little bit of peer pressure because he knows these guys don't like him mixing with Gentiles who haven't been circumcised Gentiles who've decided to follow Jesus but they've simply accepted him by faith they haven't been circumcised they haven't gone through the Jewish customs and so here we see Peter now Peter's like seeing this 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 party of the circumcision coming towards him and and he's starting to be scared a little bit I guess or intimidated and so he steps back as in oh I wasn't sitting with those guys And the other Jews that are with him, they follow suit because Peter's a leader. And Barnabas, who was a close companion of Paul, he also follows suit because he was a leader. And Paul, the apostle, is not at all happy with this. Verse 14, notice what he says. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Paul comes out to Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, man, we know that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but here you are now. As soon as you see this party of the circumcision coming, you're trying to make these guys follow the Jewish customs by stepping back. They see you as a leader, Peter. Paul's basically stepping up to Peter and he's saying, Man, what's wrong with you? You're leading these people astray and you're embarrassing our Gentile brothers who have also accepted Jesus by stepping back. And then, in verse 15, he says, But we are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, and here's the point, here's the point. Nevertheless, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. In other words, Peter, sorry, in other words, Paul comes out and he says, Hey, Peter, there was a legal system, right? The Ten Commandments that were given at Sinai. We think of the moral code. And then we think of the, the, the law of Moses and all the ceremonial aspects. We think of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's absolutely stacked with rules. But Paul comes out and he says, hey, 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 Pete, I want to tell you something. You can keep all the rules all day long. In fact, you can go around doing good works. If we put that in our modern context today, right? We could head it right out here onto the street in, in, in Melbourne and we could hand out... Uh, food to the homeless people and we could go and care for, 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 for people who are poor and we could help old people by cleaning up their gardens and all that sort of stuff and we could devote our entire life to doing that. And Jesus would come back and guess what? All the works that we did mean nothing if we do not have faith in Jesus. 
Because you're not saved by the good things that you do. You're saved. That's what the Bible is saying exactly. You're not saved by works of the law. You're saved by faith in Jesus. Why do we do works of the law? Why do we actually go out and care for people? Why do we go out and do good things for other people? Because Jesus has died for us. Because he loves us, we love him back. It's that simple. The fact that the fact that Jesus came to this planet, died upon the cross for my sins, showed that he loves me with, with unimaginable love, it makes something happen in my heart that says, hey, Jesus, you love me and now I want to love you back. And Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. So Jesus, that's why I'm going to head out and help people. That's why I'm going to do the things that you've called me to do. I'm not going to go and do these things so I can go home at the end of the day and I can write out this list of all the good stuff I did. Helped Mrs. May, helped Mr. Jones, did this, went down the church, painted the church, did that, 10 things today. Oh, look at that, 10 good things, 9 bad things. Man, I'm in. 17 good things the next day, 16 bad things. Yes, thank you, Jesus. It's not about that. That's exactly what the apostle is saying here. The apostle is saying you can't tax circumcision on, on the end, of the, uh, on the, end of, the, of the cross. Kind of paint it make, it, make it look a little bit better. He's saying you cannot earn your salvation by works of the law. You earn it by having faith in Christ. You only do works of the law because Jesus loves you. You want to love him back. I hope that's making sense, friends, because that, that in essence is the core of the message that the apostle Paul is teaching here. And so now he comes to that verse, and I said, this is where we're going to end up. Verse 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. What the apostle is saying here, when I was a Pharisee, if you, if you look at the story of the apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisaical idea was, if you kept all the regulations, all the law correctly, well, then you were the man. So the Apostle Paul says, I have been trying to earn my salvation through keeping the law, but through the law, I died to that method. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, earning it all myself, but Christ lives in me, and I live, and the life I live now, I, which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me the apostle comes out and he says hey i live by faith in jesus what's faith well i want to introduce you to a character by the name of daryl pace some of you may have seen him before i really like his haircut and his sideburns he's looking cool uh daryl pace was a olympic gold medalist in archery he's from the united states and so uh, one time they had an exhibition in New York City where Daryl Pace was basically just shooting his arrows like there was no tomorrow. So you can imagine he's got these targets lined up. He's got these hunting tips, proper steel hunting tips, and he's just shooting these targets like there's no tomorrow. You know, people are watching the crowd have come around. Oh, it's an Olympic gold medalist, Daryl Pace. He's the man. And so here's Daryl, and he steps out at one point, and he says to the crowd that's gathered around, he says, hey, guys, I wonder if there's one of you guys here that would be willing to hold this apple in their hand. Put it out like that. Apple there, right? I want you to hold it right in front of the target because here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to shoot that apple. I'm going to stand back with my, with my hunting tip. I'm going to shoot that apple straight out of your hand and it's going to go through and it's going to hit the target. You reckon I can do it? And you can imagine the crowd of people, right? The crowd of people are probably just, well, they were. They were just standing back like, um, 
yeah, I reckon you could do it. It's not with my hand. There's one guy by the name of John. He was a reporter. And I guess as every good reporter, he sees this opportunity for a story. Imagine himself on the front of the paper, Daryl Pace shooting that, that, that apple straight out of his hand. They clip it, put it on the news, etc. So he steps up and he says, all right, I'm up for it. Now, Daryl Pace is crazy, right? He's like, all right, man, let's do it. So he stands there, he holds the apple out. You can imagine, I, ought to be, I, ought to, I reckon I'd be doing a little bit of the shakies, you know. He stands there, he holds the apple out. The target is right there behind him. Daryl Pace stands back, pulls it, lets that thing fly. You can imagine right now, it's getting real, right? Takes the apple out, goes straight through, hits the target. John's got a big smile on his face. He's thinking, man, I've got the story of a lifetime right here. This cameraman comes up to him and says, hey, John, the camera jammed. I missed it. But you know, this is the idea of faith. The Greek word for faith simply means trust. Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me with your life. Would you do it? Would you trust Jesus to shoot the apple? Would you trust Jesus with your money? Would you trust Jesus with your family? Would you trust Jesus with your career? That's what faith is. Faith is trust. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I trust Jesus with my life. That's what he says. Jesus put it another way. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know God, to know Christ, to have that trusting relationship, that's salvation. That's eternal life. That's what counts. That's what matters. And I want to say, friends, that this is, the, this, this is the greatest message that this world has ever said. The title of my sermon today is, I've got news and it's good news. Why is it good news? Because we think about all the other world religions that, that take place in our world. The centrality of their message is, you need to make your own way into the kingdom. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we think of Buddhism for a second. To make it to Nirvana, you need to follow the eightfold, path, the eightfold path and you need to follow it strictly. So you need to actually work your own way to the place where you come to the, the experience of bliss. Non-existence, Nirvana. Then we think of Hinduism. If you want to escape the cycle of reincarnation, then you need to follow one of the three paths of salvation and you need to follow them very strictly to make sure that you can, uh, rather than come back as a cockroach, come back as something better in your next life until the point where you actually get united with Brahman. What's it about? It's about the things that you do. You think about Judaism. At the very foundation of Judaism is this idea of retribution and reward. Retribution for the bad stuff you do, reward for the good stuff that you do. So very central to this idea is that your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. And if they don't, what happens in the next life? Punishment. 
We think through, the, we think through a number of, of world religions. We then come to Islam. Islam relates on keeping the five pillars or the five teachings plus the other teachings. You've got to keep them rightly. If you don't keep them rightly, then you're not going to go to paradise. You're going to go to hell. So once again, it comes back to the things that you do. We think of atheism. I'm, I'm counting atheism as a world religion. A- at the foundation of atheism is this idea that we came about by lucky chance. And as the fittest species, we now have survived for this portion of time. And essentially, if you want to do well in life, then you've got to make that stuff happen yourself. Who's it's a, who is it about? Buddhism is about you. Hinduism is about you. Islam is about you. Atheism is about you, but Christianity is about the grace of Jesus Christ. Christianity comes out with this unique message and it says, hey, I want to tell you something. Your life is in fact not good enough. Your works are not good enough. All this stuff, you can line it up, stack it up, but there is no way that you will make it to the kingdom of God if you do not know Jesus Christ. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have a trusting relationship in Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to say today, friends. I want to say today that, that we should be very careful that we do not make the gospel message of Jesus Christ like every other world religion because the gospel of Jesus Christ is different. But I've met Christians who come along to me and they say, hey, if you, you know, if you want to make it into the kingdom of God, you've got to reach the state of, of sinless perfection before Jesus comes, you know. You know what I respond to those people? I'm going to show you on the slide. I respond to them by saying, you know what? Sin is more than an action. It's actually a condition of the human heart. That's a scriptural teaching. I'm going to show you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. The Bible says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. The apostle Paul reflects on his own life and he says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. In other words, I love Jesus. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of what? Sin, which is what? In my members. In other words, sin is in my body. Sin is in my makeup. The apostle Paul is reflecting on Jeremiah and he's saying, man, my heart is wicked. He's reflecting on the words of King David saying, I was sinful from birth. And so, you know, sometimes we, we kind of go, nah, an innocent little baby, you know, watch them when they start to grow a little bit. Parents know exactly what I'm talking about. They're not so innocent anymore, right? The message of Christ, friends, the message of Scripture is so clear. Sin is not just an action. It's not just something I do. It's not just me going out in the street and stealing some old lady's bag. But in fact, sin is a condition that rests in our heart and there's only one way to be saved. It's through what Jesus has done on that cross for us. That's it. So we've got to trust Him for it. So here's what I'm going to say today. Let us not change the gospel message. Instead, here's three things. Number one, stop believing the lie. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The Apostle Paul's coming in and said, somebody tried to tell you that you need to add your own works to the cross of Jesus in order to be saved. He says, cut that foolish thinking out. Who told you a lie? Stop believing the lie. Maybe somebody told, told you that in your life. Maybe the devil is kind of whispering that into your ear and you're, in your spiritual journey, you're thinking, yeah, this is what I've got to do. Stop believing it. Number two, don't let your freedom love the flesh. 
In Galatians chapter 5, 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not, but do not use your freedom to indulge the fresh flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I think of these words, it very clearly reflects the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, Jesus says the whole Old Testament teaching is about two things, loving God and loving others. Now, when you reflect on the Ten Commandments, God's moral law, the very central idea of the Ten Commandments is, number one, love God. That's what the first four commandments are about. Number two, love others. That's what the other commandments are about. Love God and love others. So when the Apostle Paul comes out and he says, hey, don't indulge the flesh, he's reflecting the idea that Jesus gave. Don't neglect that moral law that I gave you. Jesus says in this, it's never going to be okay to lie. It's never going to be okay to steal and cheat and commit adultery and put other gods before me. None of that stuff is ever going to change. But at the same time, by doing good works, Paul says, you're not going to earn your way into heaven. You've got to have faith in Christ. And that's why we don't lie. Because Jesus loves us. That's why we don't steal. That's why we don't commit adultery. It's a relationship that counts. But here's the thing, friends. This is what I want to make make clear today. Don't let our freedom in Christ indulge the flesh. So in other words, in other words, if there's stuff in your life, sin in your life, that's pulling you from Jesus then we need to be very careful that we don't let it. I'm talking about things like pornography. I'm talking about things like, like spending hours watching movies and games and, and stuff that just, just draws us away from Christ. There's so much stuff out there today, like you know, Game of Thrones and stuff like that, that's just out there. But at the same time, we, we, we say, hey man, I'm saved by Jesus, all good, I'll just go and watch it. And Jesus says, well, hey, that's not really showing me that you love me, is it? Don't indulge the flesh. And number three, live a gospel story. Galatians 6 verse 9, Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then in Galatians chapter 6 verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So in other words, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul comes out and he says, Hey guys, we have got the greatest message of all time. Don't give up on it. He says, preach it, teach it, live it. Dream about what it can do to your friend's life. Dream about what it can do to the the community that surrounds you. We have to live, he says, the gospel story of Jesus. And then he winds up in chapter 17, it's the second last verse, and he says, from now on, let no one cause me to bear my body the marks of Jesus. Man, I've been stoned for this gospel message. Stop trying to change it. It's the gospel of Jesus. I received it straight from him. Stop causing me trouble. He says, just go out there and live a gospel story. Please, he says. I wonder, I'm closing now, I wonder, if that's what we're willing to do in our lives, live a gospel story. That's what really counts when it all comes down to the end of it. I want to share with you uh, my granddad. Granddad Gray, we call him. 
a few months back, my granddad <clears throat> called me up and he said something along the lines of, hey, son, would you, would you be willing to take my funeral? He knew he was going to die. Probably had about a month to go. He said, hey, would you be willing to take my funeral? And you know, I started to think about his story. I started to think about when he was a, a young guy. There was a time that he went into this mechanics because he was a car salesman. And the mechanic who owned the shop actually told me the story later on in life. He said, oh, I remember your granddad Gray, you know. He drove that car up here one day. He was a car salesman, right? He drove it up here and, and, and he drove it up onto the ramp. And as he was driving it up onto the ramp, he drove just that little bit too far. And he hit the bricks at the end of the ramp. And the bricks, they fell off the top of the wall and they come down and they land onto the top of the car. And, oh man, it was a disaster. Cars all scratched on the front, you know. He said, but I'll never forget your granddad. He got out of that car and he took that brick and he gave me this big smile and he said to me, hey, if we're going to get an insurance job, we might as well get a good one. And so he started to scratch the rest of the car with the brick so that, so that it looked like it was more smashed and the paint job would come out nice and neat when they fixed it up. That's a true story. That's my granddad. There he is. Look at him. It's wild, eh? True story. So this is my granddad. And then, of course, it was a few years later that my nana was praying. She was, and the reason she was praying was because my granddad was a drunk and a fool. And that's in his own words. And so he would come home at night drunk and he would kick the cat, bash the dog, swear at everybody, you know, as, as when drunk people do. And, and, and then he'd probably fall asleep on the couch or something. And my nana's praying because she's got like three little kids. And she's saying to God, what on earth have you given me here? I need some help. My nana didn't go to church at the time, but she attended Sunday school when she was a kid. And she says, so she begins to pray. Two weeks later. Two weeks later, this guy knocks on the door. So my nana goes out to the door. She opens up the door and it's a pastor. It's a Seventh-day Adventist church pastor and he's offering Bible studies. And my nana sees this as a response from God. She thinks, hey, God is trying to trying to do something here and so she says yes i would love to have bible studies so he comes back and he begins to have bible studies with my nana you can imagine my granddad sitting in the other room like he's not interested in bible studies it's probably like listening around the corner making sure this this pastor's not brainwashing his wife or something like that now eventually my nana says i'm going to start going to church but she couldn't drive her car so she asked my granddad to drive her to church so he does he drives her down to the church and as he tells the story in his own words, he said, I would sink into the seat below the door, you know, where the window is, because I didn't want my friends to see me at the front of church. Man, I don't want my friends to think I'm some churchy. So my granddad would sink down into the seats, but at my, at, at, at my granddad's church, there, was these, there, were, there were these friendly bunch of Seventh-day Adventists, and at the end of church... They would make their way straight. They, they knew he was sitting out in the car. And so you can imagine they're probably sitting in that seat, just rubbing their hands together. Man, can't wait till this preacher shuts up, probably like you are right now. Can't wait till this preacher gets off the stage. And they shot out there and they would talk to my granddad in his car. One year later, they baptized him into the church. And his life flipped. It changed. He was 40 years old. He died at 82. He's 40 years old. We came to the funeral. 
A lady stands up the front. And this was, this was the most catching moment of the whole day. She came from the old people's home where my nana lived. It was that story. You know how they have that story time at funerals, right? So she stands up the front to tell a story. Now, none of us even knew who she was, except for like my mum and my mum's brother and, you know, a couple of others. I didn't know who she was, but she stands up. And she says something along the lines of, no, Jim Gray was an amazing person. She says, I never knew somebody who could love the way that he loved. She said he used to visit his wife twice a day, every day. Now, for those who are sitting in the audience who knew the context, that was significant because she had dementia, so she didn't understand a thing that was going on. But he went there anyways and sat with her twice a day, every day. She continued in her story and she said, I never had a father in my life that was a good father. But she said, but this man taught me what it was like to have a father who loves. And the whole crowd was dead silent. And I started to reflect on that, on that story. And I thought to myself, you know what, friends, that's a gospel story. That's a gospel story. That's a story about a God who takes the messed up situations of people's lives. Not because we're good. Not because we're grand and, and, and we've got this long list of things that we've done that says, Hey, Jesus, I should be in the kingdom of heaven. No, he takes our lives because he's gracious. He takes our messed up lives. And when we make that decision to follow him, when we say, Hey, Jesus, I'm going to put my hand out, shoot that apple. I trust you. Jesus says, that is awesome. I'm going to change your life and I'm going to turn it. I'm going to turn it into a gospel story. You know what, friends? I believe that Jesus wants to take every single life that's sitting here this morning. I believe he wants to take every single life that's listening on that camera, wherever they are in this world. And I believe that he wants to change and create in them a gospel story. Question is, will you let him? Will you put your trust in him today? I think we have a song, a video song to reflect. Then we're going to pray.